0: Well, this has been a year coming, and we were ready to roll this out last spring, and then last spring happened. But now we're in this spring, and so we're excited to finally decide and know what does it mean to be a part of the work that God is doing here at Denia Community Church. So what we're doing the next three weeks, in two weeks from tonight, we're actually going to talk about becoming a member at Denia Community Church. So what is a membership agreement uh, what are the different roles and uh, obligations and rights that one has? And what does it mean to be a member here at Denton Bible or the De- <laughs> <Denia> Community Church? <laughs> wow! <laughs> Edit that. Edit that. <laughs> so, Mel's giving me a fist pop. I spent 15 years working at another church. Wow. Wow. <sighs> Take two. Yeah, next week we're going to talk about Dina Community Church and what God is doing in this new work. So we uh, had our two-year anniversary last December, and we're going to talk about the history of the church, the vision of the church, the distinctives of the church, the doctrine of the church, everything you need to know to make an informed decision of would the Lord have this church be my church. But tonight we want to go back and just to say, what does it mean to be a member of any church? What is the church? Because when we hear membership, we think of things like country clubs and Sam's and Costco. And uh, back in my day, there were those cassette memberships that you would sign up for and you never could get off of. So we are very familiar with the concept of membership, but not so much as to what it looks like in a church. And we don't even have a good concept of what a church is. And so in our tradition, typically, we don't have a high view of the church or a high view of church membership. And in all honesty, there's a resistance to some of that because it involves things like commitment and signing things and accountability and all those things that just kind of make us as sinners, as Americans, and as Texans, man, who gave you the right to get in my chili as David would say. <laughs> and so what I wanna to do tonight is to try to give a bigger view of what the church is, a bigger view of what church membership is. And I hope to arouse in your hearts a compelling desire of, I want to be part of a church. I never knew we could do that. And so that's where we're going to go, starting big, moving in, and then seeing uh, how many of you all feel called at this time to make that decision. And then we'll line up interviews at the other side of it. And I want to begin with an epiphany that I had when I was 27, uh, a dramatic realization that changed the course of my life in ministry. And it occurred while I was doing a paper at Dallas Theological Seminary on Ephesians chapter 2. So, the book of Ephesians is one of the prison epistles of Paul. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And we come through this passage on, we are saved by grace through faith that not of ourselves, it is the free gift of God that none may boast. And that's always where I had stopped. But the text doesn't stop. And it goes on to talk about how Jesus died on a cross to tear down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile and to form them into one new man, this new race, this new humanity, this new creation, the church, and then to reconcile that church to God. And then these verses. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So in Christ, even we Gentiles are no longer outsiders, strangers and aliens, apart from God's promised people, but we are fellow citizens with the saints, We are fellow members of God's kingdom. We are fellow subjects of Christ the King. That's a political image. Next is a familial image. That not only are we fellow citizens, that we have been allowed passport into God's kingdom, but we are of God's household. That we have been adopted into His family. And that means that we are fellow brothers and sisters with the saints. We have siblings. Everyone that knows God as Father is our brother and sister in the Lord. And then moving to a religious imagery. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, their teaching Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together. So Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. And now what Paul describes here in Ephesians 4 is Every new conversion is a new brick in the temple. And every new soul saved is another piece added to this new temple that God has placed his spirit in. And what struck me in 1996 was I'm part of something bigger than me. I'm part of something that I never knew existed. So I came to Christ in college and I was involved in a parachurch church ministry and I honestly thought that the Christian life was about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I knew that I was supposed to go to church, but I didn't have too much qualms apart from what I was trained in in my denominational upbringing about missing church if I needed just more rest or a good devotion on a Sunday. And what God used this text to reveal to me is the church is not something that I attend, it's not a place that I work, it's who I am. I am a part of God's kingdom once He made Christ my Savior. I am part of God's family which makes you literally my family and that makes me look differently at every Christian that I see and every church because this is the local family. We have an extended family but this is the local home, this is our family. And then God is now placing all these people with this stone from here and this is a gloriously diverse work. And so we've got stones from Africa and Eurasia and from South America, and all these things that God is using to build His temple. And it struck me, the church is who I am. I realized for the first time I had no ecclesiology. I had no doctrine of the church. I had no understanding that when I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I had a corporate relationship with the body of Christ, the body of Christ, the church. And so for me, at the time, I was thinking about trying to be a uh, college professor or a seminary professor, And this passage made me fall in love with the church and for all of its flaws and all of its weaknesses. And for those of you who are younger than myself and Daryl and Leota know better than I, uh, the church is filled with flaws and frailties and weaknesses, but it's the bride of Christ. There's no plan B. There's no alternative of a life and a walk with Christ apart from the church. This is who we are in Christ. And Paul goes on now to say is that this is not only who we are kind of theoretically in these political and familial and religious imagery. This now determines how we function within our local churches, within our local family, within our local embassy of God's kingdom, within our particular wing of the temple. So notice what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Therefore I... The prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness. With patience showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So Paul assumes that the Ephesians are living in community. Because he knows that living in community isn't easy. (laughs) Because Christians are sinners. And we are selfish And we have our own agendas and we're hypersensitive and we're insensitive. And so Paul exhorts us as a response to the gospel that has been given to us that we have to be growing in humility and gentleness, and patience and tolerance and our love because this is how we are diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Christians aren't called to create unity but to preserve it. Christ created unity. We tend to rupture it with our sin. And so we're called to guard against it by taking on the character of Christ. Because, look at our identity. Because there's only one body of Christ. There's only one head. There's only one body. We're all part of that body, even though we're part of local expressions of it. We were all regenerated by one spirit. We are all indwelt by one spirit. And together we are forming the temple of that one spirit. We were called in one hope of our calling. We all have the hope of heaven the hope of being delivered from this world, delivering from the wrath of God and living with God someday. We all serve the same Lord. We all share the one faith. We were all regenerated through the one baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of us serve the same God. We all pray to the same Father. And He's over all and through all and in all. So He's all-encompassing and He's our common Father and our common God and that unifies us but it doesn't make us homogenous. Christians aren't clones. God allows for this marvelous diversity and distinctiveness. God loves the races, he made them. God loves differences in types and generations because he made them, but he wants them unified just as God the Trinity is one though distinct. And now look at how he describes another aspect of our identity, especially as it pertains to our life in the local church. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is talking about the spiritual gift that God gives each believer when they become a new creation in Christ. And God does that because every person has a role, every person has a part. And so much of our life is competitive of people are filling out applications and bolstering resumes and swelling out LinkedIn to get that internship, that job, that opportunity, and only the best are gonna get it. But that's not the way it is in the church. Everyone in the church has a role. Everyone is vital, everyone is important, and everyone is distinct. So that we have to rely on one another and appreciate one another and lean on one another in ways that we wouldn't normally. Because Paul goes on to say, and this is Mel's life transforming verse, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So Mel was a uh, production supervisor at CFNI in Pueblo, Colorado, and he came to Christ uh, as an early boy, but he got serious about Christ when his daughter died. And he was discipled. And in the context of that discipleship, he joined a small church. And he came by one day, and he noticed the pastor was shoveling coal into the cellar because it gets cold in Colorado. And he had also seen the pastor mowing the lawn, painting the buildings, prepping the sermon, visiting the people. And so he asked his disciple, he says, why didn't God give that dear man any help? And he said, he did. You're that help. I'm that help. We're that help. And he turned them to Ephesians 4, that the job of the clergy, of the pastors, of the ministers isn't to do the work for you on your behalf, it's to equip you to do that work. That joining a church means using the gift that God has given you and the role and the capacity that He has intended for you to serve the body and to bless the community, and you get to get in the game. And everybody's needed, everybody's critical. When people aren't participating then the body's not functioning at full capacity when people aren't attending and engaged then the body's not functioning at full capacity and if you'll remember when we were child children and enthusiastic enough to still sit on the sidelines saying pick me pick me you know put me in the game let me play let me try and it's only as we got older that we got more fearful and lazier and then we just kind of watched the kids have all the fun (laughs) But there was that time that we knew that we were intended to engage and to be involved. And we got the joy of participating. And that's what God has given all of his children. That you don't just get to be saved and then to be spectators. You get to engage and to God God use you to transform people's lives. And so we all use those gifts as we're being unified in the faith. As we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature man to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we are growing as a church, we are growing as believers, as the body of Christ, as we speak the truth in love. We grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Here's the image. God is using a body of the church to be the hands and the feet of Christ on earth. And he, the head is directing us and he's filled us with His spirit and he's given us gifts to engage. And all of us as we play our part are leading to the maturing of the body to serve God as he intends us with each other, in our community, through the globe as people come from here to elsewhere. And we get to invest our lives in eternally significant matters. We have purpose, we have meaning, and none of us can do it alone. We all have to lean on each other and rely on each other. And the beautiful of the diversity of the body is the parts are different, but they're all essential in the part they play. And so we have people here that are beautiful servants, even though they would prefer not to speak. We have amazing teachers, and they can do those gifts. All of y'all have gifts that God wants to use, and the context that he wants to use them in is the local church this particular team, this particular unit, this particular division, this particular orchestra, that there's lots of cellist players out there, but you're our cellist. And there's lots of mandolin players out there, but Becca is our praise leader. And we get to esteem and appreciate those gifts as we serve God together in a cause that is noble and high and more important than any one of us. So when I went through a discipleship program right after college, And there were 18 of us meeting with this pastor. And my initial impression as a young believer was all of these people are better than me. I don't know my Bible like this person. I don't evangelize like this person. I don't pray like this person. I don't memorize scripture like this person. And at some point, God gave me the realization, I can't and I don't have to be. They're better than me in those areas because God has called them to serve in those areas. God has given me a certain set of gifts because he wants me to use those gifts to serve the body. I'm not competing with anyone. I don't have to feel threatened or insecure by anyone. We're all together in this, in something that is magnificently important, and that's the body of Christ. And the Bible gives us a glimpse of what this can look like when we do it properly. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost, Peter has preached to the crowd, and then 3,000 came to faith at once 3,000 strangers. They were there for the Passover and the Pentecost pilgrimages. They were attracted to this event. They heard, but look what God did in their lives. Those who had received his word, the gospel, were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. Talk about church growth. 3,000. They went from 120 to 3,120 in a sermon, which is exciting and also daunting and rife with the possibility of division and conflict. Right? But they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place with the apostles. All those who had believed were together and they had all things in common. They even began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, anyone who might have need, not just my family, not just if you were from my hometown. Not just if I liked you, not just if I thought it would come back to me in a good way some way. If you have a need and I have a possession, I'm willing to sell it to give it because we're family. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Not because they were obligated to, but because they delighted to be together. They loved spending time with these wonderful people praising God that was the center of the relationship and having favor not just with one another but with all the people. There was something so winsome, so warm, so welcoming about this community that the rest of Jerusalem was saying, hey, we don't have that. That's not like my synagogue experience. That's not what I do when I'm with a bunch of strangers at a pilgrimage festival. That's not... And they began to come close and to listen and to hear and... The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. God's tool of evangelism weren't just individual believers going out to be individual witnesses. When Jesus said, Wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses, that was also corporate. That was talking to all the apostles, that was the communal witness of a church that was in love with God. And everybody filled, everybody serving everybody thriving, everybody flourishing, and the rest of the community said, wow, how do I get a piece of that? The same way we did, by acknowledging that we're sinners and accepting Jesus and then being welcomed wholeheartedly into the family of God. They heard the gospel, received the gospel, were baptized as a sign that they had received that gospel. They joined the family. They didn't just go back to have a meaningful, quiet time with God. 3,000 people didn't go to have 3,000 personal relationships with Jesus Christ. That's never what God was about. God is a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when He forms His people on earth, He intends them to live in community. Whether man and wife and children, and that family becomes an extended family, becomes a clan, becomes a tribe, becomes, becomes. And then He calls Abram. That Abram is going to be a nation, and Israel is going to be with the tribes, It was never God's intent for us to live in isolation. We're made in the image of the Trinity. And the expression of that right now is the church. We are the glimpse of heaven that we're giving the world so that they will jump on while there's time. So what are some things that we see about membership in the universal and the local church just in these texts? First of all, Every Christian is a member of the universal church. You didn't have to sign. You didn't have to commit. You didn't have to apply. You weren't given an opportunity to opt out. If you are in Christ, you are in the body of Christ. If God is your father, you have siblings. If you are a part of the Holy Spirit's temple, then you have all these other parts that are making up that temple. We're all part of this universal church, and therefore members of local churches should all be christian the membership roster of a local church ideally will only be those who are regenerated born again believers because that's who the church is that's what the church is and so when we begin to interview you with interview you and ask you your gospel story and to hear your testimony we're just one wanting to hear you're praising god with your gospel testimony but also to make sure that you truly do know Jesus as your savior, that you really do understand the gospel. Because here in the South, there are many of those who grew up in church or in church environments, and they know the lingo and the language, they went to camp, they had the experience, but the reality is they have never been born again. And so we just want to talk to people and as much as possible, try to restrict the roster to those who know Jesus as their savior. Secondly, Christians enjoy and express their membership in the universal church through committed, active, loving membership at a local church. So I'm part of this massive thing that God is doing through the centuries till Christ comes back, but I get to enjoy it now in the context of a local family. I get to express that identity now in the context of a local community. And so we were some college athletes in here, and... Do you athletes have that in common? But you were assigned a team and a squad and a dorm and a roommate. And you were assigned a team. And athletes, once you get on the roster, now you're assigned this and that team. We have some uh, vets in here. You have your military identity in common. But you, I wouldn't say enjoyed it, but you express that and serve that in the context of your particular branch and unit and division. And so likewise, we who are the body of Christ get to express that and enjoy that in a local body, which is what the local church is. Membership in the universal church occurs at conversion and is validated by baptism and participation in communion. When someone gives their life to Jesus Christ as their Savior, part of what they're doing in baptism is saying, God, I am giving myself to you and God is communicating and I am receiving you and the local church or the minister in which the baptism is being officiated is saying, and I'm endorsing this event. I'm acknowledging that this person has made a genuine confession and has a genuine testimony of salvation. They're part of the family. And then the communion is a way that we remind ourselves of that family identity and we show that we're in good standing that there's nothing that has caused us to be removed, that we have a clean conscience before God, that we are reconciled with others, that we're able to enjoy the family functions. And finally, not all Christian communities are churches. A church is something that Christ is creating and it has certain common factors that are essential if it's truly to be a church. They preach the gospel, they teach God's word, They celebrate Christ's ordinances. They fulfill Christ's commission. We have a mission, it's not just fellowship. We foster fellowship, we care for the members, we maintain doctrinal and moral standards. We're governed by godly, accountable officers that Christ delegates spiritual authority to for the good of the family, for the good of the body. Home groups, Bible studies, uh, fellowship among Christians with meaningful spiritual conversations, parachurch organizations, all of those are good. None of those are church. They're wonderful as supplements for the church, but they're not a substitute for the church. The church is the organism that Christ establishes to be his representative in a designated location. And once we start hearing those words like standards, discipline, authority, you can already start, okay, pastor's gone from preaching to meddling. And we we don't like those things, right? And there are those who will resist becoming members because I don't like that, or I don't see what that looked like in my old church. So we want to unpack a little bit biblically what that is and why that is. Local churches exercise discipline. Formative discipline to help people grow in their walk with Christ, and corrective discipline if they stray from that. Jesus said in Matthew 18, If your brother, and in context we're going to see your brother sister in Christ, this is a church context, sins, Go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he doesn't listen to you, don't give up on him. Love him enough to take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if they still refuse to listen, then it may be necessary to tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the family intervention, the family gathering, Then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. In other words, the decisions that God's authorities make are approved by God, that he has given them that authority to make those decisions. And we get this, right? If a child is disruptive... He's asked to be quiet. If he doesn't, he's given detention. If he doesn't, he sees the principal. If he doesn't, he might be suspended. If he's suspended, he might be expelled. And why are you doing it? For the good of the class, for the good of the students, for the good of the stool, and for the good of that student. Because you're trying to correct them. The same thing happens on athletic teams and in businesses. That for the good of the body, for the good of the mission, for the good of the cause, we have to have standards and enforce those. Paul gives in 2 Corinthians 5... 1 Corinthians 5, it's actually reported that there is immorality among you and of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. Someone's sleeping with his father's wife and you become arrogant and haven't mourned. You should have removed him from your midst. He tells Titus, reject a factious man after a first and second warning. If people are causing constant contention, conflict, division, and they won't stop slandering, gossiping, fighting, then you may have to ask them to leave for the good of the body. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, give him a greeting. That means if a visiting, traveling teacher is coming and wants to speak from the pulpit or have a class, it's the job of the authorities to make sure that they're teaching truth, that they're corresponding with what God has revealed, that they're teaching a, pr- a true gospel. And the goal in this is the restoration of the individual. So local churches pursue and restore repentant sinners. In that same context, right before when Jesus said about disciplining, he said, if any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go and search for the one that is straying? And then comes if your brother sins. In other words, we love each other enough that if you see me doing something dumb and dangerous and destructive, that you'll call me on it and if we see someone in the family beginning to move into destructive patterns and behaviors we love them enough to exhort them and then even if we've been the one who's been offended peter asked after this passage lord how often shall i how often shall my brother sin against me and i forgive him up to seven times jesus said i do not say to you up to seven times but up to 70 times 7 we never stop forgiving here is a brother or sister in the faith that has harmed us repeatedly. And what do we do? We forgive them repeatedly, just as we are repeatedly forgiven because we're family. Paul says about this same person, by the way, that was in this gross immorality, he said, remove him from the church. The man repented. Here's how Paul now says to receive him back. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted on him by the majority, majority being kicked out of the church for a season. So that on the contrary... You should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, re your love for him. He was in gross sin. He wouldn't receive rebuke. He was removed for a season. It worked. He repented. He came back. And now there's no shame. There's open arms. There's no scarlet letter. It's just complete forgiveness. And we are gentle with him and comfort him and forgive him and receive him and love him because that's what family does with one another. Paul says to the galatians if anyone is caught in any trespass you who are spiritually mature spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness the reason the church has standards is because we love god and because we love one another and we love our neighbors we love god enough to obey his rules for his organization we love one another enough to try to stop each other when we do foolish sinful harmful things And we love our neighbors enough not to discredit our testimony because if we allow those things to go unaddressed, they're not going to listen to us when we talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not hateful. It's not harsh. It's love through and through if it's done right. So, God also now gives authority. And we want to just deal up front with the things that cause people to push back From potentially becoming a member of a church. But local churches are governed by officers. Early in Acts, when Paul was going out on his first missionary journey, they appointed elders in every church. They planted the church, they went on the journey, and then rather than planting new churches, they went back the way they had come after they had had a little bit of time to observe who were the mature and the godly people, and they appointed leaders to take care of those bodies. That's God's loving act for His church. When there was conflict between the Jewish believers and those who were saying you have to be circumcised, it was the apostles and the elders who came together to look into this matter. Paul says to the Thessalonians, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give instruction. There is authority. There is a charge. And then here's the sobering one for Dave, Fred, and I. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Um, That's a scary verse. God holds the elders of a church accountable for the souls in that church, which makes it very valuable to us to know, whom am I accountable for? Is that kid in my class or Mrs. Jones' class? Is that person on my team or that team? Is that man in my unit or his unit? Because if they're in mine, I'm responsible for them. I'm accountable for them. And so one of the reasons we have church membership is so that your elders know whom we're responsible for. We want to help everybody, but we're obligated to help the family. And when it comes time to what level of benevolence is appropriate, what level of time given is appropriate, uh, how much energy do we expend? Uh, if I have to prioritize these resources, where do they go to? If I can only hire a few people to get jobs during COVID because they lost their work, who do I give them to? And the answer is we take care of our immediate family first. And we need to know who they are. And then y'all are responsible to submitting to elders. And you need to know who your elders are. And not just moving between four different churches where no one is accountable. And no one knows who you are or who you belong to. And so there is a commitment to one another that a church makes between its leadership and its lay. So a local church is God's embassy on earth where he doesn't just have a light here, there, and there, and you let that little light of yours shine, let it shine. But we gather all those lights together to become a city set on a hill so that this neighborhood and community says, wow, look at what God has done there. And we are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Christ in this particular location, in this neighborhood, to go and help the Borman teachers and students, to go and share the gospel with our neighbors, to try to reach out to those in need. And we are the hands and feet of our Lord as we serve on his behalf. But none of us can do it alone. And we're intentionally gifted and designed to do it together. That we are this temple that God has building, and this is where he puts his Holy Spirit in this neighborhood, that when people want to know who God is and they come to praise him and to give their life to him and to want to know his will for his life, we are his embassy on earth. We are that temple that they can come to to offer those sacrifices and to get right with God through Christ. And we're the family that everybody can come to. And even if you don't have a family or a good family, you have a family here if you want it. And again, any age, any intelligence, any income level, any background, any race, both genders, everyone is welcome. This is the place that everyone can come and be accepted and supported and embraced and affirmed and utilized and used and engaged. And this becomes the most delightful part of our life. The church is a gift. Church membership is this beautiful winsome worn thing that God offers us and gives us an opportunity that we, if we join a church, get to spend a large portion of our life with some of the most delightful men and women on the planet who all love the same Lord and are all still committed to the same cause. If we join a church, then we are obeying God and His will for our Christian life, and the church is the context in which we live our Christian life. If we join a church, then we get to truly become the disciple that God has called us to be and to truly disciple as God has called us to be because that's church work and not just individual work. When we join a church, we get the opportunity to be used by God to change people's eternal destiny, to watch souls get saved, to watch lives get changed, to watch families get transformed, to watch entire neighborhoods get makeovers, and we get to do that. When we join a church, we get to have people that we know are going to love us and be with us no matter what. And that's not to be taken lightly or for granted because none of us are that likable or lovely. (laughs) And when people get close to us and they begin to realize our oddities and our eccentricities and our sin and our selfishness, most time people will shunt us away. But the church shouldn't. And at least ideally here, we won't. That here we naturally fall into our affinity groups or into our stage of life groups. The church should be this intergenerational, interracial, inter all the different categories. That all these things come together in this wondrous, marvelous, God-glorifying blend because we're united in Christ. And we get to spend eternity with one another. And we get to watch our children grow up together and then marry and then have children. And we get to see the kids run and play together and grow up together. And we get to see marriages healed and strengthened. And we get to see lost family members that we pray for together come and join the family together. We get to celebrate with one another. We get to rejoice with those who rejoice. We get to weep with those who weep. And none of that's to be taken for granted. Because none of that happens that often in the world. But we're not of this world. We are a glimpse of the world to come. We are the kingdom of God on earth that is being extended and expanded. We are God's presence in this community, and he gives us the opportunity to be involved. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that glorious? Isn't that great? Who wouldn't want to be a member of a church? <laughs> and for us as a new church, because again, we've, most of us have been part of churches, and we know they're flawed and they're filled with sinners, and they hurt people, and they neglect people. And if you make Dina Community Church your church, we're going to hurt you and neglect you and be insensitive to you because I'm a sinner, and that's what sinners do. But you'll forgive me, I hope, and I'll repent and do better next time, I hope. And we have the chance to do it right. We have the chance to start it fresh. We have the chance to have the blank slate, the new calendar, the new... We have the chance to do something here, to lake all those lessons that we've learned and to do something here that is as close to the Scripture as we can make it. And when we start messing up, to address it quickly so that it doesn't sour and fester and fissure. God's given us a wonderful opportunity here to be the church. So Brian Wright and I were in Abilene uh, Monday and Tuesday. Brian was invited to go and speak at some classes, some zoom meetings to uh, student groups and uh, give the chapel and uh, he invited me to come along and it was a wonderful opportunity to watch a minister and do some ministry together. And we had a luncheon with ministry candidates who feel called to the ministry and we were just asking the different questions how do you know God's will for your life? How do you prepare for ministry? And some of the questions revolve the church. Um, Hey, I've been Zooming for a while, been out of church for a year. Don't miss it that much. Not sure I'm coming back. And what do we do with that? What do we do with that? And our response to them was, that's unfathomable. That's unthinkable. Because you can't live your life apart from the church, your Christian life apart from the church. You'd be like saying, I haven't seen my family in a year, and it's so better because I really don't like those people. But I'm family, and I have to honor that father and mother, and I have to reach out to those siblings. And that's not a good thing simply because it's a selfishly easy thing. The context of our Christian life is the body of Christ. The context of our ministry is the church where we have the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing on earth. Christ formed the church to fulfill His commission, and this is the organism that He is using to bring lost sinners to himself, to mature them in the Lord, to use their gifts, to strengthen the church, to go out in the community. This is the cutting edge. This is the vanguard. This is the front line of what Christ is doing on earth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he decided to pursue not being a classical pianist, which was his initial desire, but to pursue theology, he had a brother who was a physicist said, the church, that weak, corrupt, decrepit institution, And 14-year-old Bonhoeffer said, then I will make it better, which is exactly right. If you've been a Christian for long, the church has let you down. You've been hurt by the church. Come make it better, because there's no plan B. There's only one body. There's only one bride. There's only one flock. There's only one temple. There's only one kingdom. There's only one family, and we are members of it. And therefore, we should become local members of a local church to live our Christian life. So, we have time for questions on Big C Church and Big M membership. And we'll try to leave time at the end of each of our sessions, especially the last one, to ask questions. But do you have either thoughts, reflections, questions on membership in the universal church, and how that is expressed as membership in a local church. John, yes, sir. Okay, uh, just open, oh, Brian is saying, if a question is asked, I'm going to repeat it. Very good. Your- a question. No. Yeah. Yeah. Are, do we have to agree with each and every belief to be yeah. a member? Yeah. So Carrie's question is, next week as we go through our doctrinal statement, do you have to believe in each and every doctrine to be a member? No. And so the, the doctrinal statement is broken up into three parts. And the first part is, in unity with the church in every place and every age, we affirm the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. That like Christians from the dawn of the church, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And if you are a Christian, then you can be a member of this church. I say that, you're a member of the universal church. And we're we're part of that tradition. Now, within the universal church, we are evangelical Protestants. So we're not Eastern Orthodox, we're not Roman Catholic, and those are the three main branches. And so the next section of the doctrinal statement is, in harmony with evangelical Protestants of many different denominational traditions, we affirm these distinctives. And so that would just be the Protestant distinctives. We don't believe that the Bishop of Rome is the Vicar of Christ on Earth. We don't believe in prayer to Mary. There are things that set a Protestant apart from a Roman Catholic or from an Eastern Orthodox. And so we would expect uh, affirming of those. And you wouldn't want to be a member of this church if we didn't believe what a Roman Catholic York, did. But then there's a third level that's really our distinctives as a church. So among Protestant evangelicals, there are differences of opinion on, do you baptize as an infant or as an adult? What is the nature and purpose of the signed gifts today? What type of church polity or government most closely corresponds to scripture. Can you lose your salvation? Uh, What are some of the finer details of the end times? And so we explain what we believe on those, but you don't have to affirm those to be a member of the church. But we would ask that if you're going to be a pastor on staff, an elder, that you would be able to affirm those so that the consistency of pastoral care and preaching is whoever's up here preaching a prophetic text, they preach it from the same hermeneutic or if someone is really wrestling with, I think I've lost my salvation, they need to hear the same counsel from every pastor and elder they talk to versus I thought I was safe till I talked to Bob. And now, you know, I'm scared again. And so there's kind of the, and I wasn't thinking of you specifically. Yeah. And so there will be a greater consistency of doctrine among the elders and the teachers, but not for just members in the congregation. And we want, again, if you could be a member of a Protestant evangelical church anywhere, we want you to feel, feel comfortable here. Can you, can you be a member of more than one church? All right. Wonderful question. Can you be a member of more than one church? I think there needs to be a membership at one church that is saying, I'm under the spiritual authority of this church. These are my elders. Uh, I'm under their care. And they're the ones who are really looking after me. But that doesn't mean that we can't be involved in other churches and participate in the programs. In fact, one thing that I would really love to see as a distinctive of Dinah is a unifying, collaborative attitude that just we work with every gospel-preaching, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church as often as we can, as many ways that we can. And I love the fact that, again, the Nazarene sign is above our sign, but on the back of the sign, we're both trying to love God, one another and others. And we have the Spanish-speaking church in the afternoon and celebrate recovery. And I'm looking forward to reaching out to the Eagle Point Church. So we're all same family, but you need to have a family that you belong to. Yeah. So one analogy on that that I found helpful, because even today I, was, I reached out to two local pastors, trying to get time with them to talk about some collaborative ministry that we can do with maybe six local churches. When God called Israel out of Egypt, he didn't unify all the 12 tribes into one nation under one king. Instead, he reinforced their tribal identity. So the Danites will camp for the Danites, fight with the Danites, and when the conquest is done, you're gonna live with the Danites, which probably means you're gonna marry a Danite, and the Ephraimites, and the Judaites, and Benjamites, et cetera. But all those tribal identities that God mandated we're all subordinated to one God, one law, one covenant, one king, one nation, one Messiah. And I think that's a wonderful analogy for different churches and denominations. There were tribal distinctives, but they were all unified. And we can have church distinctives, but same God, same gospel, same scripture, same kingdom, same. And we wanna work as often as we can with as many of them as we can. Nathan. So in those Yeah. one of the, the things you said you can't be a church hopper Yeah. but um, is there a specific doctrine or is it um, a specific method to being able to know one another that deeply yeah. is that something that's going to be in membership yeah um, where we're going to to and place? so the question is how does a membership get to know one another deeply and that's been a value of ours from the very beginning and so when we first first started We met in each other's homes, and the host family shared their testimonies. And there was this beautiful transparency from the beginning. And then we began potlucking every time we weren't having communion. And we met for dinner before every Thursday night gathering pre-COVID. And so now as we've gotten larger, and that's going to get harder, we're going to be forming community groups. And then that will be a context of within a growing larger church, this is still people that I've built deep relationships with, and they know me intimately, I know them intimately, and we've logged enough hours to be transparent with one another. We intentionally didn't do community groups from the beginning because we wanted the church identity to be the primary identity, but now that we're growing and will be growing, uh, we knew all along that community groups would be a part of that that would come in time. Jeremy. Now that we're kind of getting members uh, in a roster, as you mentioned a couple of times, yeah. Yeah. Uh, functions that we attend to. So the question is, once we actually have full membership, will there be certain things that are members only versus just whoever can attend? Because we will have, like every church has, there are those that are members, there are those that are regular attenders, there are those that are visitors. So there's this kind of rings that hopefully move people closer and closer into the center. And there will be certain things like business meetings where we discuss church finances or uh, I, I think there'll be a number of occasions that that's a members-only event. But our attitude is not going to be exclusive. As much as possible, we want everyone to come. And even if they're a non-believer and they're wanting to attend, we want them here hearing the gospel, uh, being around Christian families. We want to be as welcoming, and inviting as possible. But then there's going to be times and occasions that it's a family-only meeting. Bob? For the communities and our church, how are you know? What are your plans with? not to segregate communities individually away from the
1: church? Yeah. The
0: communities and the church. Yeah. we don't need the church in the common Yeah. Fellowship? And so the question is, if you move towards community groups, how do you keep the church identity? And hopefully we'll still be able to have regular Sunday gatherings and activities and have people arrive early, linger late. We also intend on the fourth Thursday of every month to continue to gather as a church family for prayer, and we would love to make that a lingering family time. So even though three weeks of the month we'll meet as community groups, we still want to at least once a month on a midweek come together to pray together as a family. Are going to do potluck? Are we going to do potluck? I sure hope so. <laughs> so right now on that, uh, because God ordained fellowship over food. I mean, it's wonderful. We're going to do an initial potluck in April and in May as we just kind of get our legs underneath us and as the vaccinations get round and people get more comfortable. So April 18th, Connie, will be a Sunday potluck. We'll schedule one in May, and we'll just continue to do those, and then we hope to increase the frequency as the world returns to normal. Thank you all for coming. Next week, what we will do is we're going to walk through our doctrinal statement and our bylaws and then find out exactly who is Dina because again, we want everybody to just be fully aware of what we believe, why we do what we do and have an informed decision, have an opportunity to ask questions and then that'll lead us into our final week of actually, okay, so how do I join? How do I sign up? What does that look like? What does that mean? What's my part? Where's my or? And then we just get to go and do it. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you that you didn't leave us in isolation, that we're not just individual Christians or Christian couples scattered about, but you form us into a community and you gave us some structure and you gave us some essential functions and you've given us core beliefs. Most importantly, you have united us in our Savior through your spirit to serve and to worship you. So Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to express our membership in the universal church and membership in a local church. And we pray that as we do this, that you would keep us unified, keep us holy, keep us harmonious, keep us faithful, guard us from the evil one, guard us from ourselves, and use us to do great things for you here in this neighborhood. So we lift up this church to you and these people to you now in your son's name, amen.